feel that. Nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. You're listening to Ain't Nobody Listening on the most experimental station in the whole wide nation. I'm your host, Abdullah Al Ma'wali. And with me, I have a guest tonight. Uh, that's Nutayla Al Kharousi, who is a psychotherapist and the managing director of Al Harb Medical Clinic. Nutayla, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you, Abdullah, for having me. I'm excited. So, yeah, so do you even know what we're going to talk about? I have no clue. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> well, mashallah, you, you've been in the scene for quite some time. I'd say the mental health scene. I've been following you for a long time. You put out a lot of good information. And then it was also very surprising. Um, well, this isn't a surprise now, but I've known this for a while. But finding out that you're the managing director of Al Harab Medical Clinic, you know, you seem like a relatively young person to me. I was like, <laughs> mashallah. So perhaps we can start from there. Okay. Um, so Al Harb Medical Center started actually in 2001. Um, I graduated from uh, grad school from the States in 2006. Mm. And uh, I worked there for a bit. Then I came back and I started the mental health department within Al Harb Medical Center in 2007. And so that was my role. My role first, I was not managing the medical center. I was just managing uh, the mental health department. It was just me and a psychiatrist working there. And then it just expanded. And then eventually I became, uh, you know, the manager in, uh, two, I, I believe, what, four years ago. That's when I started managing the whole medical center. Okay. Yeah. What's your field of expertise for those who don't know? So um, I started um, uh, in grad school. Um, my emphasis was actually um, marriage and family therapy and anxiety disorders. Mm. But then all my experience, even in grad school, because we had to have, uh, we had to have a supervised practicum. So with my supervisor, we only the clientele that I would see were basically mostly people that had anxiety disorders. So since then, mm. until now, I would say my area of expertise would be anxiety disorders, such as, you know, OCD, uh, social anxiety, um, panic disorders, and, and so on yeah um i don't know this is very anecdotal but from my observation it seems like everybody i know these days has anxiety is this a new phenomena or are people finding this language now you know i think anxiety has always been around right uh, but now through uh, social media globalization yes there's more information and people are more readily talking about it um and remember, anxiety is, it's, it's not a bad thing. Only when it becomes a disorder, it's, it's, then it's, it's dysfunctional. We've always had it. A disorder as in it becomes crippling? Yes, it becomes mm. deteriorating. It, 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 your, your life quality has been impacted. Uh, you're not able to do the things that you want to do. It gets in the way of you living your life. But anxiety has always been there. Our ancestors had to have anxiety. Mm. Uh, if they didn't have the anxiety they would have been eaten by 
uh, lions yeah. and you know attacked by snakes and so on so it's important we've always had it so, right so yeah. where is the problem now where does the problem come in the problem becomes when we're not able to be better at feeling the anxiety when anxiety is all uh, basically controls us controls um, everything that we do uh, our behaviors our um, you know it blinds us and it, that That's when it becomes crippling, when we're not able to, um, you know, use it to our our advantage, yeah. you know. So I always like to th tell people that, look, anxiety is an emotion. We're meant to have it, right? Uh, don't see it as bad or good. It is just an emotion like the other emotions, but be better at feeling it. Mm. Yeah. Well, what got you into therapy? So my story started, uh, I knew that I wanted to do uh, therapy and become uh, a therapist uh, when I witnessed my eldest sister, um, when she her uh, mental health was impacted and my parents were quite helpless. They didn't know what to do. Um, they, they, they sought uh, guidance from um, hospitals here in Oman. Impacted how? What did you see? So initially, uh, yeah. So she, she she had a lot of. Uh, she was acting out. She was becoming uh, very aggressive. She had um, these ideas of grandiosity. She became a bit delusional, and she would sometimes at times hallucinate as well. Mm. Um, but there was a lot of aggression. Um, she she wasn't able to regulate her emotions, and no one was there to guide her. No one sat with my sister and you know really give no one gave her an avenue to like express herself so what happened was that she would just go from uh, one psychiatrist to another psychiatrist and just they were just prescribing all these uh, medications each psychiatrist would come up with a different diagnosis uh, no one psychoeducated my parents no one told them okay this is what we think is happening they this is what we believe for those needs no one even really sat with her um I don't even think anyone, no therapist sat with her and for like an hour and asked her, okay, tell us from your end what is going on. I think it's yeah. interesting yeah. that your family um, right away went the therapy route because culturally people mm -hmm. might assume that there's something supernatural, especially with the symptoms that you've been describing. Yes, I, I, I yeah, that's true. And I'm trying to think what, you know, my dad's a, a, a doctor, I guess he's a dentist. So maybe he knew that, okay, this is not normal that we have to go through the medical route. Mm. Um, but I know eventually uh, when my sister, when she was much older, when she came back, so my parents eventually took her to the UK and mm -hmm. that's when she, she got her treatment and her proper diagnosis there and so on and then my sister came back um, to Oman and then uh, extended family members spoke to my parents and actually told them that hey maybe you should go through that route that you were talking about Abdullah the religious route or well, maybe she, uh, someone you know did amal I don't know what that is in English, but Samal Harz or something, right. you know, uh, cast like, a spell on her. Right. Um, and they actually did because they were, they were, you know, they were desperate and they, they said, there's no harm trying, let's do it. Mm. But of course that didn't work out. Yeah. 
How old were you at this stage? <clears throat> so I was, how old was I? Um, my sister, my eldest sister, her name is Ferdows. Uh, she was a teenager. We're three years apart. I think it was around, I think when I was uh, like 10 and she was 13. Mm. Yeah. Did you know then that this is what you want to pursue, like therapy? Uh, I didn't know when I was 10 exactly, yeah, but over over the years, I remember watching a movie and um, she was a, a therapist, she was a psychologist and she was helping a child and that's that, that uh, struck me and I said, oh, you know, this is what I want to do and I really want to do this because I think we need this here at Oman. Mm -hmm. And I knew back then at a very young age that... Um, we didn't have it. We didn't have the proper services. Or the infrastructure. Yes. Yeah. I, where do you think we are right now? I mean, I know we're moving back and forth in time, but uh, mm. really quickly today, what's the mental health scene like? I think now it's better than when I first started mm. um, in 2007. Much, much better. We have more clinics now. We in the private sector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we are other my clinic and other clinics. We are collaborating. So I like that. Nice. Uh, it's important that we work together, but there's still room for improvement. Uh, there are many people that just have, for instance, their bachelors in psychology, and then they call themselves a psychologist, which is unacceptable. They're not trained to uh, provide psychotherapy. Nowhere in the world is can you uh, sit with a person and do psychotherapy with that person if you just have your bachelor's? So I think we need uh, accreditation. I think the Ministry of Health, unfortunately, uh, they don't have a, a representative, someone who is knowledgeable mm. about um, mental health. So they come up with bizarre rules. Um, you know, I can, I have so many stories that I can share, but I don't know if I'm authorized to do that. You're welcome to. <laughs> but um, it's, it, it, you, you know, and I don't, I, I feel bad for them. I don't blame them because they don't know. Mm. So if you don't know, then let us help you. Let us guide you. Let us, the people who are in this field for so long, mm -hmm. let us help you. And we will tell you uh, the guidelines. So for instance, I'll, I'll just tell you one example. They would come, they, they would, um, the Ministry of Health would, they have these, um, uh, audits mm -hmm. that they come to the clinic and that's a great thing they should they should be doing these audits um, so they come to our clinic and they tell us that um, yeah you in your consultations uh, rooms you you don't have sinks right mm -hmm. and uh, I tell them okay um, yes why would we need a sink we are a mental health clinic we are just sitting with our clients. We're just talking. I'm not using my hands. I'm not using injections or. But I'm sorry. You know? That's kind of funny. Yes. And <laughs> they're, like they're so pedantic about they, they say something about uh, waste management, biomedical things that I don't even know. I don't understand. Um, so for me, this is frustrating. Like, oh, my God, um, you know, we're, we're we're supposed to move forward and mm. you're picking on things that are not even related to us. Why don't we look at other things that need to be uh, worked on in uh, in mental health and the, the, the psychology field? So these are things that really like, you know, really get to me and they they frustrate me. But mm. um 
I'm I'm optimistic. I think there is room for improvement and um, we're going to try. My colleagues and I and my peers and I are going to try and we're working together to get this done. How would you do that? How would you go about uh, bringing this to the awareness of the ministry? You know? Yeah. uh, When so when we get fined, so I I get Mm -hmm. fined, for instance, or I get called uh, the clinic gets called and the, uh, me being the manager, I have to go to the Ministry of Health with all these, uh, mm. uh, you know, stipulations that, oh, you have not uh, put uh, a yellow a garbage um, trash uh, bin outside, mm. small little things, silly, petty things. So when I go to the their office, to the meeting, I speak to them and I tell them, well, it doesn't make sense. And there are uh, people there that are aware and they understand. And they are telling us, they actually told us, hey, you know what, Natalia, why don't you come, you uh, and your colleagues, why don't you come up with a checklist? So we're working on that for the audit. Oh, nice. So we're almost done with it. I'm hoping that they will take it and it's not just talk they will put it uh, into impl- implementation mm-hmm. um for, inshallah i hope so that that happens so we'll go back in time again yeah you made this decision that you want to pursue um was it therapy initially was it therapy in general when back at school when you did yeah i i wanted to be a psychologist a psychologist yes yeah. so take me through that path how was that like it was um it was nice. It was exciting to go to California. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> That's where I went. So I, I graduated from Sultan School, mm. class of 2000. Then I went to the States. Um, I went to Cal State Long Beach. Uh, my bachelor's in psychology took me four years. Mm-hmm. And then I only applied to two universities. One for my, uh, what was it, uh, cl- a clinical psychology, so a doctorate in clinical psychology. Mm. So it's called a PsyD. And then also a master's in psychology. So when, and I was on scholarship uh, back then. And uh, when I told them that I got accepted to two of the, uh, these two universities, one university, the one of the doctorate, was not um, recognized. They, they said that, oh, this is not in our list. Right, mm. you know, Ministry of Higher Education have they they actually have oh, yeah. this list of that accredited I didn't, units. Yes, yeah. but apparently now mm. that university that I got accepted back then in two thousand and four is in that list. Oh. So I had no choice but to do um, my masters, and my masters uh, taught me a lot. Um, it's it's actually a three year program uh, where they um, you have it. You, lots of like courses and then after you're done with the um, basic uh, courses like you have your foundation Mm. then you have a comprehensive examination and you have to get 70 percent and above in order to um, be uh, in front of a panel of your supervisors and and after that so i went i we i pass and then i go in front of my supervisors and they gave me a case study Mm. and i had 20 minutes to come up with the diagnosis, the treatment plan, ethical, legal issues and all that. Um, And then I see uh, clients in the clinic that is attached to the, uh, you know, the uh, the university. Mm -hmm. And when I would see my clients, it was a one way mirror, like my supervisors would actually watch me and observe me. Yes. Or I had to record my sessions. And that took 
um, a year and a half, like we had to accumulate certain um, hours, uh, face-to-face uh, hours yeah. with the, the clientele. And on top of that, I still had to do also my own uh, uh, therapy. So I had I to do 16 hours of personal therapy. And only then do you get your master's. Do your yeah. supervisors know what occurs in your therapy sessions? Yes, of course. They have to. Oh. Yeah. And the <laughs> clients that come to the clinic, yeah. they know. So they just pay something like $10 an hour or something, $7 an hour. At something the cost like of that. their freedom. Yes. <laughs> Essentially. At the cost, they know. We, you know, we have right, to get right, consent right. from them. Yeah. And they knew that, okay, the sessions are going to be recorded. These are trainees. They're being supervised. And mm. they... Of course, they were desperate, so they wouldn't mind. And mm. so we got lots of uh, experience. It was good. But the other way around, you getting therapy. Yes. Was that also uh, uh, available to your supervisors? Oh, no, no, that wasn't. The only thing uh, we had to get a report from our mm. uh, therapists saying what was covered in session and that, you know, our mental uh, status Mm-hmm. For instance, she's she's there. I don't see any psychopathology. She's she's good to go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That w- I feel like yeah, that is important. Yeah, it because is. it's mm-hmm. so, I I can imagine uh, doing what you do. It's very easy to misuse that power mm-hmm. if your head's not in the right place, right? Mm-hmm. So whoever is doing that accreditation or a degree should at least ensure that you're not a psychopath, <laughs> essentially, True. right? Yes. Yeah. Because I he- I have heard stories, uh, even here in the Sultanate, of um, a, psychi- a psychiatrist misusing their power, particularly oh. when it comes to male psychiatrists oh. uh, with females. And this, really, huh? Absolutely, this is an occurrence here. Oh. Um, so I, I'm glad to hear that the psychologists need to also do therapy. Mm-hmm. I just I'm curious. Do once you're working and all, do you get th- do you do therapy? You know what does that? I mean, mean not yeah. not for clients, but yourself. Um, do like, I do as in do I do therapy right now? Personal? Yeah, I mean, where where does a therapist go to get therapy? <laughs> they can do it. I, I know a lot of my my friends, my colleagues mm. that are therapists. Um, I don't know anyone here, but uh, the ones in the states, yeah. uh, they're seeing therapists, and there's no shame in that. Right. Right. Um, do I do therapy? Um, here with someone else, no. But what I do is I, I, I'm fortunate that I have um, other uh, therapists, colleagues that are therapists with me. And so if I want to mm. pick their brain, if I want to talk about something or just bounce something, you know, just exchange some, some ideas or get their opinion on something, I can just speak to them. And we have something called peer supervision group. Um, where we come together and we talk about our cases uh, or just sometimes just talk about ourselves. Mm. Yeah. So we do that. But I I don't see, uh, you know, a a therapist currently. But you never know. I might. And there's no shame in that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see your role when you enter a session with a new client? Um, Because I think there is a misconception, and correct me if I'm wrong, that a therapist's job is to fix the problem. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a big misconception. It's incorrect. We're only there to guide. We're not supposed to fix. Take put me in your head. You <laughs> sit with a new client. What's the process? What's the thought process? Yeah. So uh, I 
I first I, I normalize their experience. Mm. Uh, I think that's very important. I I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to uh, understand. A lot of them come for the first time. They've never seen a therapist. Um, I, I tell them that it's you know it's okay. We're we're all on the spectrum. We all have issues. And the fact that you are here, you should commend yourself. It's amazing mm. that you're doing this. This is uh, good for your your development, self development, mm. and you're growing as a person. Um, and I tell them, I psychoeducate them. Um, I think it's important that you give them a lot of information so they feel empowered. They need mm. to understand what the problem is, how it works, and then what they can do about it. So I give them the tools, but it's all about empowering them. And we're, we're there, we're witnessing their journey. That's what I, I, I see my role as a spectator, a spectator to their the, their journey of for of recovery or well-being. Why do they need a spectator? What's the what's the logic behind that? Um, because we are objective, I would say. I don't know these people. They mm. don't know me. Um, it's it's sort of like. I'm, I'm, I'm giving them um, my point of view or I am uh, guiding them in a way where I, I'm telling them that I'm there's nothing I, there's nothing there for me. Hmm. You know, you're not my sister. You're not my brother. I, you're telling me your story from your perspective and I am telling you what you need to do in an objective manner. You know, and, and, and it's also, I'm pushing them, I'm supporting them. It's it's mm. about guidance. Sometimes you need a spectator who, who's going to, you know, just cheer you on until right. you're done with the, the, the race, you know, at the finishing line or something. Yeah, or, yeah, sometimes just validating your emotion goes a long way. Yes, exactly. That's a good word. Yeah, they, yeah validating, validating their experiences. Yeah. Yes. And so... Again, I'll be doing this for a little while. I think it's interesting. We go back and forth in time. Your sister, mm -hmm. she now you got people saying maybe she could she should go see if uh, voodoo is put on upon her. <laughs> they they did back then. Yeah, but no but, more. <laughs> well, 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 let's let's go to back then. Yeah. Uh, so your family they go through with it. They they did yes yeah. back then they did yeah uh, what what did they find <laughs> they didn't find anything <laughs> nothing happened uh, she was the same but they the reason why my my parents tried it they said there's no harm why not let's just go through it and see maybe something will come out of it yeah. you know they were desperate yeah but nothing happened um, she still you know she still has schizophrenia it's a lifelong uh, that diagnosis came before uh, the uh, yes before before <laughs> they went to they went through look at, that look route. at how careful we are in using our words <laughs> <laughs> it's like before uh, mm. <laughs> yes <laughs> before they went through that route <laughs> yeah yeah but that's the thing. She so she got diagnosed, and yet they still decided to go that route. You know, the 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 religious route. Yes. Let's call it that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the diagnosis itself was not sufficient, or they, the the fact that they felt they need to go and look for something. So when they found nothing or no answers there that was helpful, what did they do next? You mean after they yeah. went through? Yeah. 
Um, nothing, just management. See, with schizophrenia, it's all about, it's a lifelong uh, disease. Mm. It's a lifelong mental illness. And it's all about management. It's all, it, it takes a toll on, on the family as well. Uh, uh, on my parents as they're, they're, you know, my sister's caregivers. So they they had to support themselves as well. They had to educate themselves mm. a lot about uh, what is schizophrenia, or mm. what can they do. Um, they took m- my sister uh, once, they stayed with her for three months in India. Um, and, um, you know, they were just, they were very desperate. They were trying to find answers, support, uh, what they can do. Uh, they, they have a routine right now for my sister. Um, and, and that's it. It's just management. There's nothing else that uh, you can do. You can just be supportive. You be there. Uh, you understand that uh, when she is relapsing, when she is uh, um, going through her, her, you know, her when she's having uh, delusions or she's hallucinating at times, that's all you can do. You can just be there and witness that mm. and just make sure that she's not harming herself or uh, other people. What does a relapse look like? So it's different from for people mm. from depending on the person. But I would just speak for my uh, my sister. For mm. her, it's um, it's you know it's it's quite intense. Um, there are times that she believes that uh, people are after her, so she becomes very paranoid. Mm. She hears she she has auditory uh, hallucinations, so that's when she relapses. There are times that she's not you know aware of uh, reality and what is going on. That she runs away uh, from the house. She believes that people are just after her in the house, um, and that's the scary part for us, especially for my parents. You know, seeing their daughter run away going uh, somewhere and they can't find her mm. uh, so that's how her relapse looks like um, you know yeah and what usually gets her out of it uh, what do you mean what gets her out so that's a relapse then yeah. how do you rein her back in so it's just with the medication okay um, but with the medication with the support of my parents as a family, we come together. Um, she needs constant supervision mm. as well. So there, my parents are trying to hire someone, um, a nurse to be there with her, to educate the nurse on what her disease entails, her mm-hmm. mental illness entails and what they can do. Um, and yeah, and that's it. Well, we'll go on a quick break. When we're back, we'll talk more about uh, the types of therapy that is available and uh, what kind of person fits what kind of therapy. If that's all right with you? Yeah. All right, let's do it. The Nation Station. 90.4 FM. You're listening to Ain't Nobody Listening. I'm your host, Abdullah Al-Ma'wali. And with me in the studio, I got uh, Nutayla Al-Kharousi, 
who is the managing director of Al Harb Medical Center. I said it right this time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I said medical clinic before. <laughs> yeah. So off air, we're talking about this. So I, I don't mind saying this that I did therapy for a bit, and it was actually your center uh, with your recommendation of a therapist, which was a great recommendation, I must say uh, publicly. I won't say who it is. <laughs> um, and then you asked me uh, if I'm still doing it, and the answer is no. And the primary reason why not is honestly, it's not glamorous. I just can't afford it. Okay, and even though it's not that expensive, but doing it on a regular basis, uh, you know, I, I can't afford it at the moment. And that raises a question: If this is so important, if mental health is such an important thing, how is this not available in our medical system as standard that everyone has access to it? Why do I have to have money? in order to get help while if i break my hand or my leg then i can get it for free because some mental disorders or mental issues it's hard to solve on your own and let me tell you i try i'm a very introspective guy but uh, there's a limitation to how much you can self heal right you need perspective so why is <laughs> the question i know it's a it's a very good uh, uh, question and um, i i would say it's because our government uh, or maybe even society they don't think it's important they don't think mental health is a priority um for them there's still that stigma there's still that lack of awareness um but we should it should be mandatory it should um, i believe that mental health we should uh, be uh, you know schools should introduce it we should teach our kids how to uh, identify their feelings and how to navigate through uh, difficult situations and difficult feelings and thoughts and so on um and we should in all government hospitals we should have uh, qualified therapists qualified psychologists who can um, give these services to the imani uh, population mm. because right now um al hospital they have long waiting lists sqh um these are the two places that i know of that they do uh, behavioral medicine so they do um, uh, you know services for uh, people with uh, psychological disorders psychiatric uh, uh, illnesses and all that and they have waiting lists as well and you can only see a therapist there once every like two months or something mm. uh, once uh, a month so Yes, which and, could be really not enough for a lot yeah, of situations. And we don't have support from the from um, you know in the private sector. We also have to make a living. They make our lives very difficult to start up clinics and all these regulations and rules that don't make sense. Even to hire people, we want to hire people, and they make it very difficult for us. But then there's no funding or no support from the government, um, and and it's unfortunate that the private sector and the government sector we don't work together. We do not collaborate, and when And they do want to collaborate. And this is just anecdotal. I'm only speaking from my personal experience. I'm not generalizing. Mm. Um, they want things for free. Okay, you provide us these services, but, you know, we're not going to compensate you. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize, like, time away. If I don't see clients, I'm not making money. Right. You know, if I'm doing other things for other people. Um, so, uh, and insurance companies, for instance, they don't, um, uh, they, they don't cover Uh, psychology yeah. they don't co- cover therapy why is that 
Mm. You know, companies, companies do not cover um, um, therapy. The only, yani I, I will speak this and I, I need to, if uh, Dr. Sleiman Al Rawahi is mm. hearing this, if he's listening, I'm going to give him, yani, mashallah. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope a lot of people uh, follow in his footsteps. He is the uh, PDO medical chief, um, you know, in charge of the PDO medical center. Mm-hmm. And he is the first person to introduce in Oman employee assistant program. What does which, that mean? Which means he, he allows his employees and their family members to seek counseling and he pay he basically pdo covers for their for therapy services if wow. when needed and this is mandatory and especially now abdullah with mm. the covid the pandemic this is we've all we're all in it together we we've we've all our mental health has all you know it has been impacted so all companies should do this for their employees right They should, and they have to also understand. Not everyone is going to. I don't know why they're so afraid. Not everyone will 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 take this, like take it, um, take advantage of it, or use it in, or do it for for other purposes and malinger and uh, use it for disability. Oh, you know, I'm not feeling. I'm going to yeah. leave work right now because, or I can't come to work because I have this mental health uh, condition and so on. People are not like that. Most people, especially in Oman, there's still that stigma. Right. A lot of people don't want to admit that they have, there's no shame, but still they have this shame. They don't want to admit if they do suffer uh, with their mental health. Um, but I, I think leaders in companies here in Oman, all banks, all, you know, in the oil and gas and other uh, in the ministries, they should make this mandatory. Do you think companies should have mental health days? Of course, 100%. Yes. And how what would the how would you go about it? What would the basis be? Would you just have to take the person's word for it? The, it should be in their contract, like how many sick days we have, how many yeah. um, mental health days we should have. Does that mean like sick days? It needs to be signed off by a therapist. You know what I mean? Yes. Why not? It's possible. Maybe we can start something, you and I, Abdullah. Yeah, why not? We should. If Talal is listening, if Talal was here earlier, he's the director of foreign channels at the station. I don't okay. know where he is right now, but maybe if he's listening, well, we should probably do this for our station. There's one thing I learned. Yes. Is that people with artistic tendencies have to have a lot of things that they need to work on as well. I don't know. Some might say that. It's because of those things that they need to work on that they have artistic tendencies and vice versa. I don't know what's your take on this. Do you work with a lot of artists? I don't, but elaborate on that point. I don't think I got I've it. I've heard a few people say that it's almost mandatory, and I don't necessarily fully agree with the statement, that some pain and struggle or, or mental anguish, uh, anguish is required in order to produce truly incredible art. Mm, interesting. And, and it's very anecdotal because you could see, you could look at a, a lot of artists who have made it big and you go through their bio and see that, ooh, they were not very happy people, mm-hmm. but look at what they created. Now, I don't know if there is any, and I'm not, probably, um, this is not your field uh, of study, uh, maybe, but I don't know if you know anything, if there is any correlation between the two, between being artistic and um, struggling mentally. Maybe it's, uh, I I don't know, I haven't read on this, uh, but it's a very good uh, um, research um, thing to to, like research about, and I, I will do 
that definitely i'd like to see if there is a correlation but maybe it's uh, it could be maybe this person um it's not it's like their artistic um normally there it's just something that they've worked on but the pain that they have they can express it very well through their art mm. maybe that's the way that they can express that pain mm-hmm. you know there are people who who have been through um um I wouldn't say, I don't think, but this is just my personal view. I don't think that if you, um, if you didn't suffer, that, that means you're not going to be a good artist. You're doomed. Yeah. You're, you're not going to make it in the the art world, (laughs) you know? Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'll read uh, about it. I'll see if that's true. Maybe it's just anecdotal, right? (laughs) I find, I find that to be true for me, I would say. And, um, it's it's not always true, but it it seems like times that are the roughest for me are the times that I tend to isolate more. Mm-hmm. But then they're also they're also the same time that I tend to have more creative output, which is weird. I I don't I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I would rather just have incredible output uh, with you know yay cheery and smiley. Mm-hmm. You know what I want to do is, and I don't know if this is going to happen. I want to open up the lines for anyone who has any questions, either regarding this or anything else relating to mental health in Oman. The number is two four. Six zero two zero five eight. That's two four six zero two zero five eight. If you ever had a question, and I know this is still in a lot of circles considered a taboo topic, um, so maybe you'll be hesitant to call in. But uh, I don't think you should. I feel like um, in order for this for therapy and mental well-being to be more prevalent in our culture, we we should be open about it. Do you notice any differences um, between how men and women speak about mental health here in Oman? I haven't noticed personally, but uh, I know that the research shows that a lot of men, most men, uh, would talk about their mental health in, in physical symptoms. Right. So, oh, um, you know, I have a headache or, you know, my back really hurts me. There's there's so much tension Mm. um, in my my back. You know, my blood pressure went up, things like that. Um, uh, I would say that uh, women would be more willing to to talk, uh, you know, openly and express themselves that, oh, I am sad, like really being able to better identify uh, their emotions. But it's also a cultural thing. So uh, a lot of people from the Eastern culture, when they talk about their um, mental health and if it's deteriorating, they don't say, they don't really express it. And, you know, oh, my, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling anxious. They would just use, they would describe what they're feeling in physical symptoms. So it's Mm -hmm. also an Eastern thing. You know, from collective cultures compared to Western cultures. So they'll just say, like, I feel pain here or there. Yes. And, but what they're actually saying is that it's it's a psychological pain or are they, they actually feeling that pain the physical pain yeah and you you they're actually feeling it um, um, uh, and i validate that experience yeah. for them and i'm sure they they are in uh, a lot of pain so most people when they come to us in the clinic um 
they 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 go to doctors, medical doctors, and then we're the last resort. Mm. So a lot of people, for instance, with uh, panic attacks and uh, with panic disorder, they really th- thought that there was something wrong with them medically, organically, and that's the right route. You mm. should go through that route first to rule out if there is a medical condition underlying your your panic attack, or I mean, not panic attack, but like what you're experiencing, sure. uh, and then uh, seek. Uh, you know, the opinion of a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So they they come to us only after they've been referred to, to us, like by a, a medical doctor. Hmm. And then, the, you know, they're shocked that, oh, yeah, he told me it's, you know, it's psychological. It's mm-hmm. all in my head, <laughs> you know. Um, and so you have to really normalize that for them. And it's okay. Yes. And psychoeducate them. Yes, of course. You'll be experiencing physical symptoms because when you, you know, nowadays we don't have physical stressors, but we have emotional stressors. So you just thinking that something is going to not work out for you, that can, of course, impact your your mm. your body, your start, your, your, your heart, sorry, will start uh, beating really fast. You get jittery and um, you you can't breathe very well. Yeah, it's crazy how the mind is very connected to your real physiology of your body. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, as simple as you're, if you're, you're you're nervous and you start to sweat, for example, or jitter, mm-hmm. right? It's it's uh, yes, it's happening in the mind, but the mm-hmm. the body reacts in a very real. Yes. Way to that. Yeah. You deal with anxiety a lot. Yes, I do. So I guess uh, we can speak, we can talk about that. Ways to, I don't know, mitigate that, I guess. Yes, I'll, why I'll, not? I'll, I'll throw like a, a one one technique that um, I read once and let me know what you think about it. If you're in the verge of having a panic attack, go into your freezer, grab ice and hold it in your hand for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. And I actually tried that once. And it it, it was painful. <laughs> but it, yeah. it did take my mind off of... Yes. So, I don't it know. Grounded what... It grounded you. It basically... It, it basically brought your attention to the current moment that, hey, Abdullah, you are here. You're mm. here. This is actually happening to you. So, anxiety is very... It's a future mode, right? We always think about, oh, what if something happens to me you we we tend to worry what if i don't get make it to um you know that college or that 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 um mm. you know what if she doesn't like me what if i i don't get that promotion and so on and you start getting anxious so it's more of a future mode um so we try to teach people that okay let's read let's help you redirect your attention and become more mindful and aware of the present moment Right. So we mm. try to redirect their thoughts to this being here yes, and now in, in the in the current moment. But exactly. that's really difficult to do when your mind's going a million miles an hour. One hundred percent. And that's why we get our clients or we get people to practice these skills beforehand. So it's like you're you're strengthening that muscle your attention muscle you're not supposed to be doing you're supposed to practice these tools every single day mm. i would say and then when you are experiencing that panic attack then it's just easy for you to access but you're not going to be able to access it when you're in that full panic mode and actually you're not supposed to in when you're in a panic mode your brain is 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 supposed to, your prefrontal cortex right which is your thinking part of your brain mm. is 
is supposed to shut down. And your amygdala, you know, that reptilian part of your brain that uh, controls your fight, flight, freeze response, your stress response, that's supposed to kick in. Hmm. Right, because you're you're alerting your brain, you're telling your brain, "Hey, there's a threat here. There's a threat. Run away or fight." Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you're not supposed to, but if you um, if you practice these skills beforehand, then it your 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 brain is wired in a way to be able to access that more easily it's it's more readily available for mm. you you're not gonna when you're in panic mode and you haven't practiced these skills you're not gonna be sitting there and thinking oh yeah. what did my therapist <laughs> tell me to do you know that's true yeah it's not second nature yes so when you say tools and you talk about being present mm. from my mind automatically goes to meditation because that's the tool i use is that what you're referring to yes meditation or mindfulness practice yeah yes that's exactly what i i'm telling you that's one there are many tools but that's one can we talk about that a little bit what does that what does that mean yeah so mindfulness is um it's basically um a way for you to be more present and aware of um you know, the present moment. You're more aware of your emotions. You're more aware of your thoughts. You're more aware of your surrounding. You are, when you're mindful, you're less reactive. Mm. You can always take that pause before you act, mm. right? Uh, and the way we ask people to become mindful is to engage in their five senses. So usually our minds are, we're on autopilot, we yeah. just, we fall into habits and routines. We don't even realize what we're doing. Uh, you know, we're sleepwalking through life. We're, we're efficient. That's another way to look <laughs> at it. We're being efficient with our brain capacity, right? Mm. It's like when you, uh, when you repeat a task over and over again, it, it is not efficient for your mind to be fully present at the moment because you're, you have muscle memory that already knows what to do. But this efficiency has side effects, right? Yes, exactly. Good. Yeah. I, I like the way you, you said it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when you're mindful, mm. you know, you, you're more aware of what is going on and you're in your surroundings, basically. And you're more able to direct your, redirect your attention to, you know, the task at hand, wherever you want it to go. So let's say mm. um, you're having, um, you know, an argument with your spouse mm. uh, and it's a heated, you know, discussion and argument and so on. And maybe the old you, uh, Abdullah, would have lashed out. You know, you're not, you, you know, you're very reactive. But let's say if you have been practicing mindfulness for a very long time, mm. then you would be able to notice your thoughts, you know, not and be very, uh, you're, you're not going to be very critical of your thoughts. You know what thoughts are there and which thoughts you want to act on and which thoughts you want to let go of, you right. know. You will be able to, you know, do the right thing and not react in a way that might be, um, you know, unhealthy and so on, yeah? So mm -hmm. that's that, that that's what I mean with mindfulness. That That's what you can... Uh, you know, these are the results that you can achieve, becoming less reactive, more aware of the present moment. Um, you engage basically in your five senses more. Uh, you don't just uh, rely on what your mind usually tells you to do. Yeah. 
your, your, it's like your mind has a mind of its own and you yeah. have to shine a light on it mm -hmm. and it just goes ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that makes sense in any yeah, way yeah yeah i get it yes yeah yeah but it takes a lot of practice and it's difficult mm. I'm, i'm not gonna lie to you it is very very difficult so you, instead of you just meditating for me i find that very hard Right. And I don't usually um, tell my clients uh, to do that. Like if I do an experiential exercise for uh, for them, uh, you know, in session, mm. I don't usually uh, l let them listen to an audio of, um, you know, someone telling you focus on your breath and, and, and so on. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I tell I, I do something that's a bit informal. So I tell them, for instance, um, you know, when you're taking um, a shower right? Uh, engage in your five senses while you're taking a shower. So mm. what does that mean? So what is it that you smell, for instance? Uh, how does the water feel against your body? The shampoo, what is, how does it feel? The soap, what is it that you're hearing? What is it that you're seeing? You know, mm. the bubbles and all that, the water. Um, what is it that you're tasting? Um, and so on. And whenever you notice, I tell them, that your mind is going elsewhere, which is what minds do, that is quite normal, mm -hmm. then you bring your attention back to the task at hand, which was what? You engaging in the mindful uh, shower right. uh, and so on. And every time you notice that your mind goes elsewhere and then you bring it back to the um, present moment or the task at hand, that's where you strengthen that muscle of attention. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I, so... For me, I, I I don't mind saying this app because I've been using it for the past five years. I love it. It's Headspace. I've been, you mm, know, yes. that, that's my go-to, you know. And I noticed a pattern is when things are going bad mentally for me, mm -hmm. that's when I would use it more. Mm. But when things are going really well, <laughs> that's when it goes off the, out the window. And the problem is you need that muscle to be strong when things are going bad. So that means you need to be meditating when things are good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I understand this logically, but that urge or need to want to do this practice on a daily basis is not as pronounced when I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling yeah. great, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Is, is I don't know how do how do you go about that? Yeah. yeah. So I, first of all, I would say that you, when you do your mindfulness practice, mm. And this is where there's um, there's a lot of um, incorrect information or misconception about mindfulness and meditation. Mm -hmm. So people think that when you do mindfulness, you're using it as a tool, mm. right? To feel, uh, to get rid of the anxiety and feel more relaxed and so on. And that I would say is incorrect. Mindfulness should not be used as a tool. Mindfulness is just a way to be with your thoughts and your feelings. So when you tell me that you don't want, you don't have the urge because things are going well. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's because you're thinking that, look, I'm using mindfulness for to, you know, to fix my issues or, or something, which is incorrect. But a lot of people do it. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot like of people, instinct. yes, a lot of people do it when things are going wrong because they're thinking that mindfulness is a tool to, um, you know, to fix things when it's, it shouldn't be that way. It should just be uh, a practice that you, you, you do like when you, you exercise or when you eat. And this is where I think that it should be introduced at a very young mm. age in schools. It should be mandatory 
it should just become like second nature for us. We we should be accustomed to it. And we we can only become accustomed to it if it's introduced at a very young age. Yeah. You know, I noticed actually, it doesn't say this explicitly in the app itself, but you, from the way these courses were presented, I can, I noticed this pattern where what the, the I guess you can call him a coach, uh, is trying to do here is bridge the gap between the act of sitting down and meditating and being in the world. So, for ex- initially, when you start with a beginner course, it's all about you know um, being able to sit still and letting the thoughts come in and flow out, and mm-hmm. and not being judgmental about it, and using your breath as the guide mm-hmm. to keep you centered. And as you go to more advanced courses, it seems like the the coach wants to. Um, tr- transition you smoothly from that state into the world like so that that state that you're in where you let thoughts come in and flow out could also happen when your eyes is open mm. when you're not fully focused on your breath mm. you know when you're just out and about in the world now to me moving to that step there it's very difficult once my eyes are open <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. All those lessons go out the window. Yes. No, it's it's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, um, yes, I, I can imagine it's very difficult. But try doing it um, informally. Do mm. it when you're taking a shower, when you're brushing your teeth, when you're walking. Even now, you know, when you leave, uh, you know, your office and go back to you, you walk to your car, do a mindfulness walk. Then it becomes easier when you don't have to, you know, really sit there and meditate and really bring your attention to what you're doing and so on it's really hard to 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 do that to to uh, you know keep at least for me i think do you have any practices that you do on a regular basis you know i do uh, i uh, the shower uh, mindfulness shower i do Mm. Um, i would say it's become like a habit for me so i do it all the time Um, so that's what i do I, I don't do anything else. Sometimes when I go and walk uh, on the beach, mm. I, I'm I'm aware. I'm like, oh, what, let me just you know engage in my five senses and take this all in and so on. When I'm out in nature, I, I would say that I do it more often. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a daily basis, I would say just when I'm taking a shower. That's very convenient. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Two in one. Make it easier, right? Make it easier. And yeah. this is why I tell this to my clients. Mm. Because I know that it will be easier for them when it's when we're doing mundane ta- tasks. You know, even when you're eating, even when you're having a coffee. One of my clients, whenever she has her uh, coffee in the morning, she does, uh, you know, she, she engages in a mindfulness exercise. Mm. You know, how does the coffee feel like? Uh, the cup the textures the flavors what is she hearing for instance and and so on yeah i will try that (laughs) you know i promised myself that i wouldn't turn this show into my uh, free therapy session for myself so i'm gonna try my best to (laughs) not do that it's okay (laughs) but what other you mentioned tools so this is one are there others other tools to deal with anxiety yeah, so uh, depending, um, so grounding, uh, grounding is another tool. This is what I was doing with the ice thing. Yeah, okay. with the ice thing. And another way you can do it 
again, engage in your five senses. So name five things that you see, four things that you can hear, I mean, sorry, touch, three things that you can uh, smell, two things that you can uh, hear, and one thing you can taste. Mm. Uh, Another thing that you can do with uh, anxiety, depending on the... uh, Uh, you know, disorder as well is also um, challenging your beliefs, right? Your unhealthy beliefs. Um, So for instance, um, people that have a a panic, uh, a a panic attack, or they're, they're diagnosed with a panic disorder. So they're diagnosed with that because they're afraid of having recurrent panic attacks. Mm-hmm. So they've had panic attacks, uh, one panic attack maybe in the past. So they're, they're afraid of uh, getting it again. And the, and how, what happens to them is they're very hyper uh, alert or aware of their physical sensation. So the minute that they feel, for instance, that their heart is beating more than usual, they would uh, believe that, oh my goodness, I'm having, you know, it's going to happen right now. I'm having a panic attack, right? Right. So, it's it's the belief the belief that it's it's not it's a false alarm yeah but because they've had a previous negative experience so they're associating any time that this happens any you know uh, uh, unusual physical sensation that oh i'm going to get it again yeah. I, uh, and so on so this is where another tool is we um, help them uh, challenge these beliefs and replace them with more realistic beliefs um, right? Challenge By, which belief exactly? The be, uh, sorry. So the belief that I will have a panic attack and they basically overestimate uh, the likelihood of this panic mm. attack happening and the cost. They believe that I'm going to die, that I am you know, going to faint. I'm not going to be able to cope. So we get them to challenge these beliefs by exposing them gradually to these feared situations. So some people have panic disorder with agoraphobia. So that means they don't leave their houses or they don't, not, okay, I wouldn't go that far, but maybe they won't go to place, they they don't go uh, to places where it's very difficult to exit, Mm. right? There's no escape plan. Um, Or um, if they're not with someone, they have to always have someone with them. Right. They only use uh, they go to safe places. So we get them to go to these places. Right. Mm. Um, And and that only then can they modify and edit these belief systems, because the only way they can prove that these are not they're inaccurate. Right. Is to put themselves in these feared situations. Right. But before that, we also ask them to do like a thought log to uh, write um you know what? Uh, what's the evidence that this could happen? If you're having a thought, an automatic thought that I'm I'm not going to make it or something bad is going to happen, then let's write it down and see what is the evidence that supports this thought. What is the evidence evidence that goes against this thought and mm. so on? So it's just this is more of CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, we do that. Tell me, tell me. We're now we're going to go into like <laughs> the, the different types of therapy that is available. So CBT to me is the most common that I've seen. Yes, it's it's quite uh, common here in Oman and elsewhere. Um, but I'm more of an ACT therapist. But yes, CB- what is that? So it's uh, it, it's the third wave of CBT. So it's acceptance commitment therapy. So that school of thought is that. 
um, we must, as humans, we have to accept, we have to understand that um, life, yes, is is difficult. We will have challenges in our life um, and we will have difficult thoughts and feelings and we cannot get rid of them. It's not an on and off button. Mm-hmm. So we, it's not like, it's not a switch. We can't just switch it off. Not, don't think about this. Don't think about this. Uh, and the more you tell yourself actually not to think about it, what happens gets what? You, th- you think yeah. more about it, right? Yeah. So where we tell ourselves that, hey, listen, we can't control these thoughts and feelings, mm-hmm. right? But what we can control are our behaviors. And what we should be doing, right, is we should be aligning and committing ourselves and aligning our, our, our behaviors with things that we value, right? How so? So let's say, um, I'll give you an example, right? Um, let's say uh, uh, there's a man who has, uh, he's diagnosed with uh, social phobia, so social anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one of his values, so values are long lived. These are things that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Like you, you, they're not goals. They're not things that you just check, right? It's values are something that you um, live by. You live by. So like yes. integrity. And exactly. Stuff like Good. That. Yeah. Yes. Integrity, even like career, yeah. you know, knowledge, yeah. um, love and, and so on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So these are things that you're going to do for the rest of your, your life. Right. You, you're, you're, you're your creed, you're, you're going to live by. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Goals are just, sometimes you need goals in order to like, some goals align you with your values, mm. correct? But values are, as I said, long-lived. They're not something that you just check. Okay, so he, um, he so he has social phobia, right? He he says that he has, um, you know, so for for him, presentations, speaking in public is very difficult. Mm. He gets a lot of anxiety. It's very crippling for him. He needs tools and so on. He wants to feel empowered, but. He knows uh, that if he he has a meeting tomorrow and he has to present and that's very difficult for him. But he knows if he does that, Mm -hmm. that's a goal, an action that he needs to do. That action aligns him with his value of what? What is his value? You know, uh, career, for instance, Mm. uh, career progression or uh, knowledge. Whatever it may be. Yes. But it's aligned with that value. It's it's aligned with that value. So he he would say that, hey, I would tell him that, you know, and he would be more willing. He'd say he would say that, okay, I'm more willing to have and make room for my difficult thoughts and feelings for this anxiety. I'm more able to make space for my uh, anxiety and accept it more because it shows up when I am doing something that I value. The reason why we struggle sometimes is that we are trying, why are we struggling? Why are we suffering? Because we tr- we're trying to get rid of emotions, difficult emotions that are meant to be there in the first place. We're not accepting it. We're not accepting it. So that is acceptance commitment therapy. So they're telling us accept these uh, difficult thoughts and feelings. Please know, uh, embrace them, welcome them. Don't struggle with them. You will only struggle uh, in your life if you try to get rid of them. If you're trying, you're aiming to get rid of them. Well, let's use this guy as an example. Uh, uh, What if like... Accepting it is scary because if you accept that you're anxious and you're going for a presentation, what if you 
fail at presentation and you're anxious in front of all the people. So like, how do I accept that fact? You know? Yeah. So what you're struggling with are your thoughts. Yeah. Right. Remember thoughts that you have are just words. We don't know that for, for, for sure. We don't look when I have a thought, why are you struggling? Why are you becoming more anxious? It's because of the thought Hmm. that you have the thought that, Oh, I, I, this might happen and this might happen yeah. and, and, and so on, right? And that becomes more, you're, you're very entangled and hooked by your thoughts. So we, we try to get people to understand that these thoughts are just thoughts. They're just words. Let's try to distance yourself from your thoughts. And this is where when you're mindful and you're more aware, you become more of an observer of your thoughts, Yeah, you're going into something, I think, a little bit more philosophical <laughs> yes, here. Because yeah. now th- this raises, mm. and I hope you don't mind to go uh, to get a little philosophical yes. here. This raises another question. Mm. If we are not our thoughts, what is that thinking mind that's thinking about these thoughts? You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I get you. I get you. <laughs> you know, so, so it's like my... Th- yes. I, I, the thoughts that occur to me are my thoughts. But I am aware of my thoughts. That means there is another thought thinking of that thought. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah? I think you've lost me. Yeah. No, say it again. It's, yes. There are two levels, I feel. Yes. There is level one is these thoughts that come in and out of your mind. Oh, yeah. But then there is this other level that needs to be aware of that, those thoughts. Mm-hmm. What is this other level? Yeah. So that's where we want you to go. This is where we, we aim to be. That to be aware of these thoughts I don't know what mm. you see at the end of the day, it's it's language, right? This all came about because we put language, us humans, we created language. Mm-hmm. And this is why we start struggling, you know, with our thoughts and so on. Because of But, language, particularly language as in words and vocabulary. Yes, and vocabulary and all that. Yani, yani, look. If you think about it in this way, mm-hmm. the thoughts that we have, what are they? You tell me, what are they? Well, often words, but not always. Sometimes they're images. Yes, yeah. exactly. And an image is, all, we say it's also a thought. Yeah. Right? But is it real? Is it, yani? No. Why, why are we struggling? If you think about all the issues that we have when we experience anxiety, when we experience sadness and so on, it, it comes that they all come about initially because of our thoughts, hmm. how we interpret, how we think about the situation. We become so fused. We are, we become our thoughts. Hmm. So the the idea is, is to be, to unhook ourselves from our thoughts, to become more of an observer of our thoughts. Like, I'll give you this metaphor and I, I usually use, usually use it in my my sessions mm-hmm. is that there is um, a stage and you are part of the audience, okay. right? Um, so you're a spectator and you're looking onto the stage and there are all these uh, people, performers on the stage and so on. So I want you to imagine that the performers on the stage are your thoughts and your feelings and you are just looking at them, Mm -hmm. at your thoughts and your feelings and you're not with them. 
you're not like, you know, you're just watching them mm-hmm. and not being judgmental or not critical. You're just merely observing them for what they are. You're not part of them. You're not engaged with them. Yeah. And this is when you become that way, right? And you you have a bit of a distance from your thoughts, then only then can you not struggle and suffer in this life. Here's another one. Yes, tell me. Philosophical. So we're not our thoughts then? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You seem unsure. We're not. No, no. Yes, yes, we're not our thoughts. So what are we? <laughs> you know? And yes. I don't I, I genuinely don't think there is a right answer here. Yes. Maybe there is, but I don't think at least I've I've had this conversation a yeah. few times. I never asked it to a psychologist though. <laughs> and everyone has an interesting way of looking at it. If we're not our thoughts, what are we? I, I think at some point you have to dip into your own personal beliefs rather than your expertise. <laughs> I don't know. I you, know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very deep question. Uh, Abdullah, what are we? I don't know what we are. <laughs> because it's easy to look yeah. at my memories and my experiences and my way of viewing life and say that's Abdullah. Yeah. I can see that connection. Mm-hmm. But here we are asking for us to distance ourselves from those thoughts that mm-hmm. maybe we see it as who we are. Mm-hmm. So then who are we? But I, I would say, I would say, I, I will tell you this. I mm. say distance yourself from unhelpful thoughts. Mm. When a thought shows up for you, the question you should ask yourself, is this helping me? Is this helpful? Is this functional? Is this helping me or uh, aligning me with my values? If it's not aligning you, it's with your values and it's not helping you, then create some distance. Mm-hmm. So it's, let's go back to the example of the guy with the social uh, social anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. So when he has a thought such as, I'm going to fail, I'm not going to do well, and so on, you know, he doesn't ask himself, is this true or not? That doesn't... Right. Who cares, yeah, right? Yeah. If it's fact or fiction, I that's not... That's not what you should be asking yourself. Mm. What you should be asking yourself, is it helpful? Is it serving me? Right. right? If it's not serving you, then create some distance. One way you can create some distance mm-hmm. is a technique I use uh, myself and I tell my clients, I, I sing that thought to a happy birthday tune. <laughs> I, I swear I do. <laughs> and this is a technique. It's called the diffusion technique from ACT. So I, I you am know, not afraid of presentations. Uh, yeah, or something. Or I am a failure. I am a failure. I am a failure. For instance, so when that thought pops up again, yeah, you know, there's that funny like connotation to it or association you didn't to it. Find any other song? Like, not at all. Like Happy Birthday. Yeah, Happy Birthday. Or you know, any character you say it in a funny uh, voice, like someone's. Uh, uh, I don't know, Bugs Bunny's voice Bugs, or something. No, no, no. I'm bringing my <laughs> uncle into this. Yes, okay, yeah. <laughs> I love. Yeah. Even, even the... <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> with, the, with the accent. Yeah, that, that could be funny. And even an image. You said an image is also a thought. Mm. So one thing that you can do is visualize if this image is not helpful to you, yeah. right? Visualize that image Um you know, on a TV screen, flip it upside down, like expand it, put funny characters in it. Uh, one of my clients, um, 
you know, he again with the presentation, he saw the the audience uh, members of the audience dancing to the Macarena. Mm. You know, so for him, he would just visualize that, visualize that or think about that. Mm. Um, and then he actually thought about it when he did the presentation. He, you know, he giggled, Everyone's a doing little giggle. <laughs> he giggled to himself. Yeah, hey, that would be fun. But isn't there a risk also to to be too identified with um, the thoughts that are considered positive, that are good for you? Because I'm, I'm trying to think back to... Moments when I've, I don't know, I, I, I love what I do and, and I get very passionate. And sometimes when things go really well, I am pumped. My whole body feels it. I want to jump up and down and I get all consumed. It's an amazing feeling. But then when something derails that feeling, because I'm so attached to that, mm-hmm. it's, it can swing all the way to the, to, to the other side. It's like How so? Give me an example. <sighs> Because I, I, you know, it's funny the way this works. When we're, I'm talking on the radio, I work in the radio, so I have to be careful about what <laughs> I say, you know. But I feel like there is this risk of being also too attached, not just to the negative thoughts, but also attached to the positive. Because when something derails that positive thought, say a life circumstance comes up, it feels like I was feeling good. Now I'm disappointed that this feeling is gone. I was attached to it, you know. Yes, this feeling was serving me. I've been, I, I was producing more. I was creating more work, but I was also attached to that positive feeling. And now that the feeling is gone, it's not just you know, like water. You know, it, it's like I, I feel a sense of attachment to it, and that feeling is gone. So I, now it's replaced by this sense of disappointment. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. But the when you got that feeling, mm-hmm. you were doing something, correct? Yeah. yeah. So you were attached. It wasn't that you were, you, it felt good to you because you were probably doing something that aligned you mm-hmm. with your values that gave you meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. Correct? Absolutely. And, and this is where you struggle. And this is where when you're not doing something, when you're not committing yourself to things or doing, remember, you have control over your behaviors and eventually when you do something that aligns you with your values then yes that is going to influence how you start thinking and how you start feeling yeah so when you say that you're attached you were attached to that feeling but that feeling came about when you were doing something mm-hmm. right that yeah. you found meaningful so this is where you know we we try to we to we, we try at act therapists we try to tell people try to sprinkle your values on a day to day basis what does that mean sprinkle okay. like live by them do things that align you with your val- values and you can have many values mm-hmm. correct but when you do something that you're like oh today was a good workable you know um good day for for me because I did something that aligned me with my value. So I could say something small. And for me, for instance, one of my big value is to be a good mother. So when, let's say everything went wrong for the day, but I spent time with my kids. And for me, my value is to be a good mother, to, um, you know, be loving and so on. Then I would say, oh, today was a good day for me. It wasn't so bad, even though I had, and I would be more tolerable and make more space for the anxiety that shows up for me. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. or the difficult emotions that show up for me be- because I'm doing something that I, you know, is meaningful for me. Yeah. You know, I think people struggle more, right? Because they are not doing things that align them with their values. Mm. You know, they're thinking it's all about like goals, 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 goals. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do need goals, right? Mm-hmm. But where is your values are, are basically your life compass, your direction, your life direction. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, mm. I, I don't, I, I struggle to understand how anyone could operate without some like um, guidance and that guidance comes from your values Mm -hmm. for me personally the question of why is always prevalent in anything that i do and the why refers to the values Mm. why why are we doing this why am i spending hours of my day on this it's like uh, there is a clear distinction between the value and the goal yeah the goal serves the value Mm mm-hmm I agree with that. But now, excuse my ignorance, everything you're explaining also sounds eerily similar to CBT. What's the difference between ACT and CBT? So with the CBT, they ask you to, uh, you know, change. Basically, you can replace your unhelpful thoughts with more helpful thoughts. Mm. With ACT, we say that we're not uh, in the business of, changing or modifying your your thoughts we are seeing thoughts for what they are nothing more nothing less they're just words right and we are focused more on you know accepting these difficult thoughts and feelings for what they are and making room for them Mm-hmm. Right. And committing yourself yourself to, you know, actions and behaviors uh, that align you with your values. So CBT, you know, it, it has this thought. I mean, the theory, OK, cognitions, which are thoughts uh, and uh, feelings and um, uh, what is it? Uh, behaviors. So they they each influence each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is correct. Yeah. But with the, the they focus on, OK, let's try to change and replace these unhelpful thoughts with more helpful thoughts. OK. And when we do that, then that can um, that can influence how you start feeling. Right. And that can also influence what you start doing. So why did you take the act path? Um, I didn't even, you know, it was back in when I graduated in 2006, it was my uh, professor, my supervisor. He was the chair of the psychology department um, back then at Mm. Chapman University. And he actually came up with this book. He published this book. It's an amazing book. uh, His name is Dr. George Eifert. He's very, very famous and popular in the act world. Um, And he produced this, published this book and he was teaching us and he we nice. did it for two and I, I know I got lucky <laughs> and when I came to Amman no one knew about ACT to be honest uh, now nowadays I see a lot of upcoming uh, Amani therapists who talk about ACT uh, and I'm pleased but back then in 2006 there was no one it was only CBT and I remember when I came back uh, I met with the um, someone and he he he's like what is that you know mm. he didn't even know about it uh, and he said oh you're not trained in cbt and i said no i'm trained in act and it's it, we're going in that direction so act cbt never had mindfulness with act 
they they had mindfulness. So but, the acceptance. But I assume that CBT these days do. Yes. Have so that's why I'm saying it's going in that direction. Ah. But the original CBT. Okay. Never had mindfulness. Wow, I always thought that was a core part of it. No. It seems so essential. Yeah, now, yes, but it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like there are certain people that would do better with CBT and some with ACT? Or do you just think that ACT is more over, overall more rounded than CBT? You know, I'm a, a eclectic, so I, I mix everything. Yeah. You know, and yes, and you, I cannot just use act with one client. Mm -hmm. Maybe yes, that's not going to work with that client. So depending on the client's needs, I do that. So I do use, I'm not going to lie to you. I do use CBT as well, but what I, you know, what um, I really believe in mostly is mm -hmm. act. I think that is, um, that's what speaks to me, mm. but CBT, I do use it. So with OCD, For instance, I use uh, a lot of uh, CBT with obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, I use CBT mostly with adolescents because I think they get it more and it's more functional and it's more homework based as well. So um, what I've noticed, although even ACT, there is some homeworks, but I, I've noticed with adolescents, it works more with uh, uh, CBT works more with them. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, actually, we'd love to talk to you a little bit about um, medication. Because I think that's a whole area that people have strong opinions about. And I would love to talk to a, a psychologist, uh, a psychotherapist about it. We'll be right back. On your nation station, 90.4 FM. You're listening to Ain't Nobody Listening, coming to you live from beautiful Medina Tel Alam and with me in the studio is Nutayla Al-Kharousi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Oh, there you go. Sorry, your levels. We're not going to say that again. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I said thanks for having me. Oh, I'm enjoying this. It's a, Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been learning a lot. I've been getting my free therapy in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I hack the system. Can't afford it? No problem. Interview them. <laughs> So last we left off, it was um, I wanted to talk about medication. I'll start with the basic question: good, bad? Um, good, of course, I would say. You say of course, but it's I, I don't know if that's just a given because a lot of people have the impression that medication, uh, prescribed medication particularly, mm -hmm. is inherently bad. You know, because it's not from I don't know nature. Um. But if there's something that's uh, causing you a lot of dysfunction and um, there is a chemical imbalance in your brain and you know that this medication would assist with that mm. and you would get good results, then what's the harm? Yeah. Right? Because a lot of mental illnesses they do have uh, uh, medication is required. And the research actually shows that when it's combined with therapy and uh, psychotropic medication, so the, the medications that are prescribed for mental illnesses, mm. then you get even better results than when you just use one thing solely, just medication or just uh, psychotherapy. But it all depends on the person. It depends on the psychological disorder, uh, how much effort you put in in your, in your therapy and in, mm. in utilizing the skills that you have learned. Um, in session 
Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think people have this perception of, and maybe there's some truth to it, that just um, prescriptions are given out willy-nilly and a lot of people are dazed out and are not living their full lives because, you know, they're looking for that quick exit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a substitution for doing the work and actually putting in the time and actually th- figuring out how how to go about your brain yeah. and it's just this easy fix yeah take the meds be sedated i you know i can't answer that and i wouldn't know i would say that's just anecdotal um i uh, unfortunately i don't i haven't read up on the research mm-hmm. uh, on the stats and if if that is true if this is what most people their perceptions sure. it are is on total i have yeah. to admit yeah so yeah. I, i i wouldn't know but i can understand um why people think that medication is you know inherently wrong and i shouldn't be doing that because it comes from the stigma as well P- you see it's okay why is it okay uh, it's you know society with society it is socially acceptable mm-hmm. right to take medication if you have uh, diabetes or if you have uh, you know heart disease and and or, or whatever you know mm-hmm. um, but it's not okay if you have uh, a mental illness right? right there's no shame in that but why it's because of the stigma i think people still are not where, aware where, where does that stigma come from It's from um, from society, from lack of awareness, uh, lack of education. It's not. It's still, and it's not just in Oman, Abdullah. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's worldwide. Yeah. Um, I think the the I would say w- one of the positive things of the, the pandemic. One thing I could say that's positive of the pandemic is that it has made a lot of people more aware of how important mental health is mm-hmm. because. We have all been impacted. And so now, you know, finally, people are taking this seriously. They're realizing, oh, my goodness, we need to do something about this. We need to do something about our mental health. We need to take care of it. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to talk more about it. We need there has to be more dialogue. The fact that you have me on here um, on the radio, Yanni, thank you. Can this I is, just can yeah. I just say this uh, tomorrow at 7 a.m. Um, there we have a show called Jumpstart in the morning with Talal and Emil, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to be doing a, a new segment called Headlights, where they're going to uh, pick a topic to 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 basically have headlights on it, and it's going to be about mental health. Uh, I think they spoke to three different therapists. Um, I'm really looking forward to see how that turns nice. out. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that they're also doing mm-hmm. that. And I, I do think it's important. Um, I, I want to go back to this uh, point with the medication. Um, when the, the stigma or the taboo. Mm-hmm. I think maybe part of it also has to do with that sense of You're admitting defeat, and so you're taking the easy way out. And I don't want people to know that. It's like, look, you're so weak. I feel like that's that could be part of the stigma, that you're worried that people think you're so weak that you took a pill. Yeah. You took the easy way out, you know? And so you wouldn't want to admit to people that you're taking a pill. Yeah, I get you. So they're, they're basically saying that you're... mental illness is unwarranted that it is not that 
big of a deal. Or that, that you're not strong that, enough to put in the work and so you're relying on the, uh, on the, on the silver bullet. Yeah, but why is it okay mm. if someone has a hypertension and they, they take a pill, why can't we say the same thing to that person? Oh, you need to be strong enough to yeah, toughen, to, it, out. toughen it out and don't take a pill. Yeah, because I think that is, uh, it's, it's um, with the mind, it's, it's less tangible, mm-hmm. you know, But it's it's biological. It, If you, when you're, t- why are look? There's a, a bit of everything yeah. with the uh, with the mental health. And you even remember you were saying how it's amazing how our brain can impact our yeah. uh, our physiology. Mind, yes, our f- physiology and all that. So when you're taking a pill, there is truly there's newer science behind it. There's there's uh, an imbalance in your chemicals. Maybe you have less serotonin. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have uh, less dopamine. Um, you know, uh, more uh, adrenaline or, or, or something. Yani yeah. The newer transmitters, the chemical imbalance are, is, is not, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, is, is not sufficient and it's not, uh, and you need medication in mm-hmm. order to get that, that balance back. Yeah. I, w- right? I, w- I want it to be very clear that I'm not casting judgment, okay? Yes. But I do want to play devil's advocate because uh, I, I hear debates from both sides. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just get this out of the way and give you my opinion on it before I play devil's advocate. If the pill helps, take it. And if it's prescribed by a professional that you trust, take it. Yes, and it doesn't Fair. make you weak. Yeah, but, doesn't make you weak whatsoever. But I, I, what I want to know is you mentioned about the biology and that there's a lack of serotonin and all that. Is that tested for? How do you determine that? What do you mean? How do you how do you there, determine that there is a, an actual neurological or chemical imbalance? Because there's been numerous research on this yeah. on mental illnesses. There's a genetic component. There's a biology, uh, you know, component to it. Uh, lots of research has been published. Uh, a lot of fMRI scans have been done on individuals with uh, certain mental illnesses, and they've noticed that there is a chemical imbalance, and that is why we have psychiatry. Who mm-hmm. study this for a living, and this is why they prescribe because. So the prescription if, comes from looking at the symptoms, but not necessarily a biological test to see if there is an actual imbalance. Uh, they don't do an actual test currently, but they did the research beforehand, mm. right? Right. They've tested this, and they did when they do the fMRI scans on these individuals, they have noticed that there is a chemical imbalance and when they do clinical you know this is all ba- not currently like when let's say for instance when someone comes and has anxiety and he's been diagnosed with the social anxiety disorder so we know that he has anxiety correct if he takes medication mm-hmm. you know he's not going to go do an fMRI scan or or, or that not To my knowledge, they, right. they, they don't do that. Immediately, the psychiatrist, when he sees that and he sees he meets the criteria for that diagnosis, then he, he prescribes him uh, anti-anxiety. And that helps with the physiological, the, the physical symptoms. Does that make sense? It does. And it does really Uh, 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 help the individual. He's less, he doesn't have, he's not jittery as much. He's, he doesn't feel his heart 
beating too much, for instance, when when he's in certain situations that he fears. Yeah. So ultimately, it is a judgment call from the therapist. Uh, from the psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. We my do bad. not. My we bad. do not. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That we, we need to make that. Uh, yes. I only learned this this uh, distinction <laughs> very recently. Yeah. I'm not. I cannot. Uh, I'm not authorized to prescribe. Yeah. Uh, psychologists are not authorized as well, but uh, psychiatrists are. Right. Well, yeah, that that is interesting. Yeah, so it's no, it's um, it's nothing, it's not weak at all. Mm. Um, and there are there are many um, studies that have proven that a lot of people that do have mental illnesses they do mm. benefit from medication. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the last chance for anyone who wants to call in. The number is two four six zero two zero five eight. One more time, two four. Are you grabbing your phone? <laughs> Was that your phone? Two four six zero two zero five eight. If you have any questions, any input, you're welcome to call in and hit us up. Um, I guess we got like uh, ten minutes to go, so Jalsin. Yeah, they say you're not allowed to have dead air, but like you, you can't what? Sorry, have dead air. <laughs> The so silence. we have to like say something, right? <laughs> Not if someone's calling, but someone is calling. Luckily, oh. hello, hello. We have to, like, say Hi. Hello. 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 Hey. Hi. Hi. Who's speaking? This is Fatma speaking. Fatma, who? Oh, you don't have Fatima. to say. You don't have to say. It's okay. Welcome. Well, welcome to the show, Fatma. Thank you so much. I just uh, turned on the radio mm. and started listening to the last few conversations you guys are talking about okay. psychiatrists and, uh, and psych- therapists. Yeah, yeah, and a psychologist. Okay, and I kind—I don't—I don't even know the name of the person who's talking because I just turned on the radio. <laughs> it's Natalia Khorosi. She's, she's the managing Thank you so director. Much for all the information you have provided, like in the last few minutes. Mm-hmm. But I am a person who's actually against any type of psychiatric medication because of the side effects that happen later on. I believe it helps in the beginning, but in long term, it actually, for like for my opinion. It actually harms the human body, and then he t- he tends to actually need to take more medications or more like other type of medications. Uh, just uh, so, uh, if if you don't mind me asking, is this opinion based on your own personal experience? Um, I also kind of did a few research online to like, you know, mm. um, see if what other people are saying about it, and. I, there are so many people who are saying the same thing. Hmm. So I am not quite sure if actually going to a psychiatrist is very, um, very nice for humans. Okay. But to go to a therapist, I think it's more realistic. Because as a, a psychiatrist would subscribe medication according to just Asking few questions. Like, I don't feel like there is really proven tests to actually diagnose someone with a certain disease. 
those research those research which are there i feel like they're very old and people just depend on research and very old books and mm. they don't really open up their brain and think outside the box of what exactly are they doing to to like take type, to take that type of a decision like taking medications i've heard i've never like i didn't hear, i didn't hear i i know a few people who have been taking medication and they say they feel like zombies So, I don't know. <laughs> well, th- thank you so much for your input. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in yeah. Taylor. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Fatma. Thank you for your uh, input. Uh, and we will talk about it some more. So, I'm, I'm sorry that you had or whoever you knew had a, a negative experience with the, with the medication. But this mm. is something that I would recommend and I would urge you or whoever to speak to uh, the, the psychiatrist concerned and ask more about the side effects, ask more about like the dosage and how, um, you know, if the side effects are very bad and you cannot tolerate them, then what is it that I can do uh, to, you know, to, to go back to your psychiatrist and mm. speak to him or her about your concerns. Um, so okay. I, we cannot say 100%, right? We cannot generalize that mm. all medications are ineffective. In fact, there are many, many, many people right that benefit yeah. from medication but i can understand that there are a uh, few uh, i mean uh, people you know um, a number of people that have not benefited and as you said they they had uh, adverse um, effects side effects mm-hmm. from uh, the medication and, the, and there is one more point you yes. said you said that those psychiatrists they study for a living they study this for a living so this type of like this sentence itself it shows that those psychiatrists are just doing it for a living and then they just you know make you take medicine i don't know <laughs> this is what i felt when i listened to, to the last few minutes of your show and i hope that i kind of added up a few points uh, yeah i feel like yeah. context really matters in this conversation i don't blame you this is on the radio but we will eventually upload it and maybe you'll have um, um, a clear picture of what we were talking about yeah um yeah but fair so f- fair points fair points fatma thank you so much for calling in Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Have Thank a good you, evening. Fatma. Bye. 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 But she does bring up an interesting point about, um, uh, well, again, all anecdotes. This is not research-based. This is a, a, yes. <laughs> my opinion, Fatma's opinion, and a bunch of other people's opinion on this. Mm. Um, uh, but um, she's brought up the point that if you're going to go to psychiatrists, they dip, they rely on a couple of questions in order to prescribe. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, to prescribe, And I think that's similar to the question I was coming to earlier, mm-hmm. which is, if it is a chemical imbalance, is there a more comprehensive way to determine that it's an actual chemical imbalance? Or asking questions, uh, uh, certain questions is sufficient to give you that diagnosis you know so that's why it's very important to work with a team 
you know, a multidisciplinary team. Mm. Um, I, the way we are trained is that we see the the client first. Uh, we take a very thorough intake, history, mm. family history, medication, certain uh, uh, general medical conditions that they have. If they have a history of substance abuse and or any psychiatric illnesses in their in their families. Then we come up with the diagnosis. Then we do the psychotherapy, the sessions and all that, mm-hmm. right? And then if that is not effective and that is not working and they do want to go through the route of a of medication, that's when we refer to the psychiatrist mm-hmm. and they take the medication, but they have to, you know, do, as I said, the research shows that uh, mostly when you take you do both you i mean you take the medication and you do psychotherapy you have more effective results but there are people who benefit just solely from the medication mm. correct or they just uh, benefit solely from psychotherapy sessions so it all depends so what fatma was saying is maybe her experience or the people that she knows they had negative experiences because of the uh, the side effects of the medication maybe they never tried therapy before and maybe they should speak to their concerned psychiatrist try to wean off these medications and then go through the right. route of psychotherapy but to say that all medication is it's a bit you know, of a general generalization yes, that's, that's you yeah, know I, you know i can give you so many stories of people that i know personally mm. my own sister mm-hmm. right she has to be on medication she has uh, schizophrenia so yeah. that is the sole golden treatment for um for schizophrenia you have to be on uh, anti-psychotics yeah. so yeah well uh, Fatima if you're listening and you'd like to listen to the rest of this interview you can always follow us at amanafm.om shameless plug there but we do upload our episodes eventually um, maybe not this week because we have a lot uh, lined up to go but that would be the best place uh, to do that and in fact uh, Fatima if you're interested tomorrow morning uh, we got a show Jumpstart and they'll be uh, talking about mental health um, a lot more so that's something my be interested in in fact how about we play one of their trailers really quick you know this week on headlights we are going to be looking into a very interesting deep dive into mental health and how culture can impact it what are the different standards how much research is being done in it we will be making the connection between the mistreatment and misdiagnosis of mental disorders due to culture as well as connecting schizophrenia with gin join the conversation on instagram on omanfm.om where you can tell us what you think about this topic and join in on questionnaires and surveys tune in for more on jumpstart That's 7 a.m. tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. Um, before we end the session, I would like to, I don't know, uh, from you, based on your experience doing, uh, being a therapist here in Oman, uh, any key takeaways, any observations that you find interesting about working here in the country? Um, yeah, uh, I, I would say that I, I'm, I'm fortunate to see the uh, the field the mental health field grow here in Oman as as you know uh, I've started since 2007 mm. uh, up to now so I I'm optimistic um, 
I, I love the way, the direction that mental health is going here in Oman. Inshallah, mm. we will see more uh, positive uh, things to come. Um, I would say that there is no stigma and no shame in seeking psychotherapy, in seeking uh, therapy, in taking medication if you have a mental illness. I would recommend that people in higher positions, people who are leaders, if they are able to speak up more and come clean and say that, oh, I'm struggling with my mental health. I have, um, you know, depression. I, I experienced anxiety and so on. Then that will that will let other people, um, you know, come clean and talk about it and admit that, yes, they themselves are struggling with it. Uh, and only then, only, only when we know Mm. that you are suffering and you're struggling with your mental health, only then can we um, help you and maybe even society and the government can make uh, better regulations and make mental health services more accessible to people. So more conversations should be done. I love that you guys tomorrow are, you know, you're talking about the research out there. Is there enough research being done on mental health and Um, I think that's uh, the whole connection between yes. mental health and gin also is an interesting one <laughs> that we're going to be talking yeah. about tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, so the the key takeaway is that, hey, you know, uh, if anything, the pandemic has taught us that we're all in this together. We have yeah. all been impacted somehow and there's no shame. There's no shame in you saying that, hey, I, I am anxious or I'm unable to do this and I need help. Um, there's nothing wrong with you if you do have a mental illness. Definitely nothing's wrong with you. Yeah, we're all on the spectrum. Taylor <laughs> Khorosi, psychotherapist and our managing director of Al Harab <laughs> Medical Center. Where can people find you? They can find me, uh, okay, on my Instagram account. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what it's called. What, what's Come my Instagram? <laughs> For real? <laughs> It's oh Natela Harosi, I guess. For yes. real? Yeah, I've been following you for years. Sorry. <laughs> okay, they can find me on Instagram. I have a professional Instagram account, mm. Natela Harosi, N-U-T-A-I-L-A-K-H-A-R-U-S-I. They can find me in Al Harab Medical Center. We're located in Shatak Qurum. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the Instagram for that? It's Al Harab. Oh. Yes, Al Harab Medical dot Center. So A L H A R U B Medical dot Center. We spell Center C E N T E R. Thank yeah. you so much for joining me Thanks today. Thanks for having me. Inshallah, I'll see you again. Inshallah, definitely. Yes. Take yeah. care. Thanks. Nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening.